The single weirdest fact about your life, mm-hmm. in my opinion, oh God, is that you've been in not one but two car accidents mm-hmm. where you got hit by a car while running away from bees. I know. No one believes me. It's the stupidest thing about my life. It is going to be my final destination, though. Like, I'm definitely going to die because of bees and cars. In the end, I've accepted this is how I will go. (laughs) (laughs) From WBEZ Chicago, this is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Today, actress and activist Jamila Jamil. She's a woman of contradictions, running in fear from the smallest predators and fearlessly attacking the largest ones. My revenge is against the diet industry. I'm, I have cost them f***ing billions of dollars. We discussed Jamila's journey from radio stardom in the UK to TV stardom in the US, how an unexpected viral post morphed into her first company, iWay, why she is allergic to making plans, and also how she changed her relationship to her depression. You'd hit so rock bottom, you kind of stopped being afraid of death? No, it was I was never afraid of death. The problem is I was afraid of life. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, listeners, a quick warning. This episode contains discussions of suicide and eating disorders and a lot of unbleeped swearing. Jamila Jamil was born in England to parents of Pakistani and Indian origin. She was working class and a nerd. She got a scholarship to a fancy all-girls school. In her 20s, while working as a teacher, she was discovered in a pub by a producer who thought she'd be good as a host. Would you do High School Musical 4? I can't. It's a new cast. Is it true your mum buys your condoms? No, they were in my stocking. That was Santa. Justin Bieber, welcome to T4. How are you? I'm great in yourself. The UK is gripped by Bieber fever. My grandmother is gripped by Bieber fever. She became the first female solo presenter of BBC Radio 1's official chart show. Hello and welcome to the official chart wrap-up. With me, Jamila Jamil, I'm here to deliver unto you all of the latest chart news and gossip in less time than it takes to make a cup of tea. Important to note, it takes three minutes to make a good cup of tea, not counting boiling water. Jamila became UK famous, a journalist, cultural commentator, DJ, fashionista. But then at the age of 29, she says, she found a lump in her breast. She decided to upend her life completely. I was biopsied and I have had a lot of women die in my family of breast cancer. So I didn't know what was going to happen. And Mm -hmm. I spent that week really just thinking, oh my God, I made that plan like two years ago to go to America and like start again. And I didn't do it. And I also didn't travel and I didn't Mm -hmm. learn how to live on my own. And I didn't like learn how to sleep with the lights off and all these little silly things that I wanted to be able to do. I was like, I didn't have enough pleasure. I didn't have enough sex. Like I didn't, I didn't do anything. And now it's all going to be over and it's just, I'm just going to die. And then a week later I found out that it wasn't like big, scary, full cancer. 
and it was just an easy operation and that I would be good to work and good to fly within six weeks. Mm. Weren't you worried about follow-up care? I just like, wouldn't you need... No, like they've got doctors okay. here. I just needed uh-huh. a lump removed. That's so Indian of you to care. Um <laughs> That lump pushed Jamila to action. She moved to Los Angeles, where she thought she would be a screenwriter. While working on a script, she decided to try out for a star role in an upcoming NBC show called The Good Place. And she got it in a move as unlikely as getting hit by cars while running from bees twice. Jamila plays Tahani Aljamil, a high-society British socialite and philanthropist, secretly battling her inferiority complex and prone to name-dropping. You know, I haven't been this upset since my good friend Taylor was rudely upstaged by my other friend Kanye, who was defending my best friend, Beyonce. It's not about who you know. Enlightenment comes from within. The Dalai Lama texted me that. I found it peculiar that Jamila would leave stardom in one country to start all over again in another. Jamila said it was a rational choice because the opportunities in England were drying up. I knew that if you get over the age of 30, it's a miracle to keep working if you're a woman in the United Kingdom. And you're also not allowed to change lane. You're not allowed to also be a writer or also be an actor or also be this, that and the other. In England, they're very much so like, pick your box and stay in it. In America, they're like, how many boxes have you got? Yeah, yeah, totally. And the more totally. boxes you have, yeah. the more exciting they think you are. And I've got a lot. I've got. I've got a lot of fucking boxes. You know, they right. might not be very big, and they might not be very clever. But you know, <laughs> I am a woman who is. You know, I'm multifaceted, and I. I don't want to be told what I can and can't do by anyone. Did you ever intervene with the writers and say, "No, no, no, Tahani wouldn't do that"? Constantly. Yeah. Yeah, constantly from like day one, which I think was quite shocking to everyone because, I mean, who the fuck was I to do that? <laughs> but um, but also I am an English person and no one else there was English. So I feel like I know what we're like and I feel as though Americans have this very romanticised ideal of what British people are like because we've uh-huh. been so like poorly represented as much more intelligent or much more graceful or you know just much better than than americans and we are more polished we're just more polished turds that's all (laughs) i always wonder if it's a response to having gone around the world and tried to colonize the entire world and at one point kind of quite successfully colonizing ginormous continents uh and then failing and being told to like fuck off bit by bit from all around the world and now just being this quite like measly this once great like british quote-unquote empire is now this like measly little sort of like anus of europe i put a lot of thought into it yeah so so jamila what do you really think (laughs) (laughs) and so no so i wanted i wanted dahani to have more bite and I wanted her to be more passive aggressive and I wanted to show her her vanity and all these little things that I think British people are better at hiding. Interesting. And so you wanted her to embody a British psyche that you think Americans just don't get. Yeah, and they don't know exists. And I think that, that she was like a good way for that to be kind of represented. Interestingly, lots of people know Jamila less for her acting and more for her Instagram. As one of the foremost social media activists of our time, her every move is studied, appraised by the internet. For some reason, she seems to be constantly under heat for everything she does. And whenever she does anything, people will find a way to accuse her for being a piece of shit. 
Now We're going to talk about Jamila Jamil and her wokeness, her activism, her feminism, and what that seems to mean for her. I find that in the quote-unquote real world, the physical world, right. I myself am unfiltered. I actually just say what I'm thinking to a fault. Mm-hmm. Online, I am much more subdued, restrained. I do not have the stomach for picking fights that I see you pick. Mm-hmm. Uh and as I was prepping for this interview, honestly, I just kept wondering, should I be more like you? What well, depends on how good your therapist is and if you have access to meds. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, no, <laughs> don't do it. Um, no, look, it's not for everyone. But I think I don't really have a lot to lose because I hmm. don't, I really don't care about what anyone else thinks of me. And I really don't care about anything other than trying to leave the world in a better state than it was when I came in you know I, I was such a fucked up 12 year old and so mm. sad for so much of my life and so I've just decided that at all costs to try to dedicate my life to trying to make sure no one else is as sad as I was at least not for the same reasons I was mm. you do this thing where you pick big targets or at least this is how you started you picked a target who is bigger than you and you go after them. That's strategic. I'm talking specifically about the Kardashians. She's come after them for promoting questionable appetite suppressants, meal replacements, and flat tummy teas on social media. The money is built on the blood and tears of young women who believe in them, who follow them. Who I didn't pick them as a target. The media no? like t- amplified that as a target. I was telling off everyone. But Mm. the media is funded by the diet industry. I'm not saying that I didn't specifically call out the Kardashians. I did, but I also called out many influencers and many celebrities. And so for them, it was very convenient. I was calling out Kim Kardashian and they made the whole thing about her. Whereas I was repeatedly saying in all of my posts, this is not about a Kardashian, Chloe or Kim. They are victims of this system. We need to crush the system. And so what I want to do is basically dissect an example of how you choose something big and go after it. Because a lot of us do not do that. So whether it's a Kardashian or whether it's someone else, give me an example. Choose one example that we can dig into. Okay. An example is... um, I was sick of diet and detox teas being sold on the internet with no instructions written as to like what the side effects are. I just can't believe that that happens on social media. And so I made a piss take advert of of an influencer making a diet tea advert and all the false claims about how I lost like 20 pounds in three days Mm. and I just Mm. eat cheeseburgers all day. And I've already lost 35 pounds and I've got abs, but I've never done a day's exercise in my life and I haven't been on a diet. And then the video ends with me screaming (laughs) and shitting fire essentially on a toilet. (laughs) Hi guys. Um, I've been here now for like (laughs) three days, but I'm still feeling amazing and super skinny. So... Discount code to my bio. <laughs> it's a very disgusting video. My boyfriend is a Grammy-winning producer. His name is James Blake, and he produced all of the farting and shitting noises for me. So it's technically produced by Grammy award-winning James Blake, which is yes. my coolest collaboration to okay. date. Uh, and I put that video on the internet to make fun of all of these influencers and it went completely viral all around the world. And then I utilized the groundswell of that video to go to Instagram and I, I started a petition three days before that meeting with Instagram and I said, 
can you help me get signatures to get these products off the internet so that under 18s can't see them? I got 250,000 signatures in three days, took that to Instagram and said to them, essentially, you can either do this with me the easy way where we do this together and make it positive, or I will come back here with change.org and the paparazzi and the press and I will just pressure you into this. Mm-hmm. And they were really cool about it. And it turned out that they actually agreed with me and a lot of them have kids of their own and they were appreciative of the public support for them to make this change. And so we did. And what did they agree to specifically that they did? So under 18s, uh, like all these products can no longer, there are adverts that now based on whatever age you say you are, like the algorithm mm-hmm. no longer send you diet and detox products. And So if which, you're 16, you're not going to get a drink this tea and lose 20 pounds no matter what you eat. Yeah, you can still get it mm-hmm. uh, if your favorite like influencer or pop star puts it on their timeline. But then that pop star or that influencer, I think can get a warning and can maybe even have their product taken down. But most importantly... Mm-hmm. I have also deliberately been so fucking annoying and relentless every time any celebrity posts any diet or detox product Mm. that now people don't post them anymore because they just don't want to deal with me because I'm so annoying. Uh, You've like developed this reputation of she's going to come troll you about this. Yeah, it's just like, it's like, there's Uh like, you know, like memes about it. It's like, if you say I hate my body three times in the mirror, Jamila Jamil will appear. Like, I'm sort of like a... (laughs) Like anti-fat shaming Candyman. Uh, And Harvard said that I was more effective than the FDA at creating awareness around the dangers of diet and detox products. So Mm. I, backed by all of the people who supported me and all of the other people who work in this space, have been part of making diet products uncool. And that has been, I think probably my biggest like strategy move that I'm proudest of. And now we're able to go and take it to Congress and, turn this into an actual, hopefully, legislative change. Mm-hmm. And so your rep as the Punisher, the Candyman, yeah. d- does it bother you or do you like it? No, I don't really give a shit. Like, I, I do, it's not who mm-hmm. I actually am. I'm a very mm-hmm. relaxed, chill person who doesn't stand on a soapbox screaming all day. But I just accept that if this is who people think I am, fuck it, who cares? At least now less kids mm-hmm. are taking diet and detox products. You know, 24,000 kids a year in America go to the emergency room for taking these products. 24,000. Yeah. Yeah. So if I can be a part of changing that, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. You know, part of what prompted me wanting to talk with you Mm -hmm. was, I'll give you this this context. Um, I wrote my first book. It was published a couple of years ago. And it's about my family's 30-year effort to gain citizenship in this country. Mm -hmm. Okay. And basically, we grew up undocumented. I had to become the family lawyer and run circles around ICE to keep my father here. There was a very protracted case. It lasted more than a decade. And I remember when the book was coming out, my literary agent pulled me aside. And he was like, Arthi, pick a fight with Donald Trump and Fox News. Wow. That will get you on the radar. That will sell this book like crazy. And I remember he told it to me. And all I could feel was a sinking stomach. And for one, I didn't actually know, well, how do I throw a rock at that tank? And then also, do I even want to, will it crush me? Yeah. But I actually think you've done versions of that. By not on, I mean, I've been told by everyone the exact opposite. I've been told by everyone, stop it. Stop attacking brands stop attacking really famous, powerful individuals who can impact your career, who can impact Mm -hmm. your relationship with fashion houses and magazines. You know, I attack my own industry all the time. 
Yeah. Uh, so I'm constantly told to. So I go after. I went after Quentin Tarantino. Like I went. I, yeah. I go after. Yeah. I I bite the hand that feeds me constantly. I'm constantly chewing on the hand that feeds me as if it is gum. Uh, so I don't. I don't get advised to ever do that. Mm-hmm. When I am attention seeking, it's always very very specific around something. But you can't predict. Most of the, I think if you're if you're a fucking glamorous actress who makes a video of yourself on a toilet, you can pretty much guarantee that a lot of people are going to talk about that. But when mm. I pick an argument with someone, you have no idea if anyone's going to care. Like when I first mm. said something about the Kardashians, I, it wasn't the first time I'd said something about diet and detox teas. I'd been saying that shit for ten years. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, because of the fact that I was also on the good place and I was one of the only Indian actresses and like people were noticing me suddenly people cared about this thing that I've been saying publicly for 10 years so you can Mm -hmm. never guarantee there's no point trying to plan what's going to be this big takedown moment you know Mm -hmm. you're going up against Donald Trump you're going up against all these people they're telling you to pick a fight with there's you just don't know what people are going to care about I I just happened to strike a chord with a lot of people without really expecting to at first and then once I knew I had I just kept going and so do you have specific advice to people who they want to pick a fight with a giant, but they're not sure how? Is there something that you've done that is not just dependent on being a glamorous celebrity, but that, no, you could actually, other people can learn this. Whoever you are, you can do this. That question's a careful line to tread because so much of why I've had so much more success than other advocates is because I am a glamorous celebrity. And to deny mm. that would be a, like, gross aggrandizing of my skill set um <laughs> but it would be grotesque so mm-hmm. like of course that's a fucking part of it and of course the way that i look is part of why they'll listen to me about fat phobia and they won't listen to a fat woman you know there is right. a amount of privilege and so if you don't have the massive amount of leverage that i have my personal advice is to not go up by yourself against a massive conglomerate or massive individual it would be to join forces with other people and even I especially when I had a lower profile than I have now without the fucking million people who were behind me and supporting my cause I wouldn't have had Facebook notice me I wouldn't have had any of these companies I wouldn't have the Mm, Kardashians pull down their Mm. diet posts you know so Mm -hmm. it's always a group effort I have been made the face of something that is a hundred percent a group effort and I talk about that as much as I can so that people don't try and take this on themselves because a you will be less effective without hordes of other people but b you're your mental health will deteriorate. It's very stressful. Don't try and take Mm -hmm. this upon yourself. There are people much more experienced than you Mm -hmm. and who have infrastructures. Join them. Don't try and be the star of the show. It's Mm -hmm. fucking awful because as much as you get all the glory, you also get all of the blame. This next segment of our episode has content that may be sensitive for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or mental health matters, please call or text 1-800-273-8255 to connect with a trained counselor. Jamila Jamil is vocal about her struggles with depression. And her depression has nearly killed her twice. The first time happened long before she was a celebrity. I was 15 the first time I tried to take my life. And may I ask you what happened there? Uh, Yeah, uh, sort of. I'll be as careful as I can with the details of my family's life. But my family was falling apart. Um, I'm, my family is full of mentally ill, severely mentally ill people. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone was failing to cope 
and a lot of people were very suicidal in my family and I'd witnessed many, many suicide attempts by this point. So it just kind of felt like the thing that you do and life becomes too much. That just mm. felt like the acceptable uh, out. And so I was 15, so anorexic, so tired and hungry and sad. And I had no support network at home at that time because people were struggling with their own shit. And I just thought, I can't, you know, I was a carer to so many people and I wasn't, I didn't know what I was doing because I was a kid. Um, mm -hmm. And so much of my innocence had been lost by such a young age and I couldn't relate to anyone my age and I'd experienced sexual abuse as a child and that had all sort of, sort of start to surface now that I was in my teens and starting to understand sex sex and dynamics and, mm. and so I think it was just I was too overwhelmed therapy just wasn't a thing especially not mm -hmm. in a South Asian background right. no I didn't know anyone who was having therapy I didn't know anyone who was on medication it felt like the biggest shame to admit that you had any kind of you were struggling mentally mm -hmm. or emotionally so I just thought the thing that you do then is you just kill yourself and so I, I, I overdosed and I uh, survived. Uh, and it didn't make me feel grateful or happy afterwards. I just thought, right, okay, well, I'll just try and stick it out. Then I'm clearly not supposed to go right now. And then it was another nine years before I tried again. I'm happy you survived. And I'm sorry to hear that you went through that at 15. Um, in terms of then what happens nine years later, can you talk about that second attempted suicide? Because it sounds like you came out of it very differently yeah 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 the second yeah. one was much more formative mm -hmm. at 26 life was becoming incredibly difficult because around 26 27 it, I don't know if other people experience this but I feel as though my mental illness I couldn't hide it anymore I'd done a very good job at hiding my depression and anxiety under all these kind of happy it girl personas that I had created to make other mm -hmm. people you know think I was happy and also you know there's this pressure when you because I'd become famous at 22 and like or 23 and I had all this privilege and I was in all these magazines and on all these billboards and so there's an extra layer of like it feels grotesque to say I'm sad if I have all of this great stuff mm -hmm. and I'm so lucky mm -hmm. so I um I was drowning in my own silence about what was really happening and nobody close to me knew that I was struggling or that I had any of these feelings my eating disorder was kind of starting to creep back in and again my programming of like well this is just too hard so mm. rather than ask someone for help I'll just I don't want to be a burden on anyone I'll just kill myself mm -hmm. and so I tried again. I failed again. Uh, mm. Turns out it's not my skill. Uh, better <laughs> acting, good. better acting, uh, and advocating than killing myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I came out of it just being like, "Oh, for fuck's sake, I've survived again." Mm. <sighs> I'm only going to try this again if I don't just change everything about my life. Mm. If I don't change every single piece of my existence. So mm -hmm. I'm going to become completely self-centered and I'm going to become completely ruthless and radically mm -hmm. honest, brutally honest constantly uh, at any cost. And I'm going to mm -hmm. cut people out of my life who don't make me happy, even if I'm close friends with them, even if they're related to me, whatever. And I'm mm -hmm. going to tell everyone to fuck off who needs to be told to fuck off. And I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to stop being ashamed of that and I'm going to get better. And so I've uh -huh. been on a kind of nine-year mission 10-year mission almost now to save my own life uh, and try everything to just stay here. Mm -hmm. What you're describing, Jamila, you come out of an attempted suicide and the lesson you glean from it is 
I'm now going to give myself the most unbridled freedom I've ever experienced. I'm going to recycle my pain into good things. It's like you came out with like a new zest for and permission for for living that most of us don't have. Well, I'd, I mean, most of us do have it. We're just, we're just mm-hmm. told that we don't have it. And then we believe that because we're told from yeah. such a young age, especially women. Um, I think I just had nothing to lose at this point. I'm just like, well, this is really rock bottom. <laughs> this can't mm-hmm. get any worse. So mm-hmm. now I may as well just try this fun experiment and use myself as a crash test dummy and see what would happen if I broke all the rules. What if I just finally like actually grabbed life by the balls? Because I'd just been like pretend living. It was like I was in the Truman Show. You know, I think I think a lot of people feel that way. It's like, oh, and you go to your job that you hate and you talk to your colleague who you hate and then you get treated like shit by your family because blood is thicker than water. And you tolerate shit from a lover because you're scared of being alone because you've been told that as a woman to be alone is the worst thing possible. So you just like all of these norms that I'd been conditioned into by women's magazines and by women and by men and by patriarchy. I was just like, ah, fuck this then. And ultimately, if it doesn't all work out and if this turns into a big catastrophic mess as I as it could do, then, you know, maybe I won't survive. And I think I had that in my back pocket and that's not something I would ever advise anyone to live by. Uh-huh. It just is my true story. I'm sorry, you had what in your back pocket? Knowing that like, well, if it doesn't work out, then I'll probably kill myself, which is a terribly sad hmm. way to feel. And I don't feel that way now. But mm-hmm. at 26, like... You know, I am mentally ill. I am someone who struggles with coping in this world. But the work I did, knowing I had that as my kind of terrible, dark, sad, get out of jail free card, Mm. was so effective that now I don't want to die. You'd hit so rock bottom, you kind of stopped being afraid of death? No, it was I was never afraid of death. The problem is I was afraid of life. Hmm. So how do you, after not taking your own life, just flip a switch that has you just going for things? Like, how do you flip that switch? Well, I mean, the reason I talk about it so openly is because I'm hoping that someone doesn't have to get to rock bottom Mm because they can look at me and see I survived. Someone listening to this can make this decision at the end of this podcast. You can make that choice right now that am I going to continue to just swallow my unhappiness? Do I have to stay in any of these situations I'm in? I'm in a long marriage that I'm miserable in. I haven't been touched in years or I'm at a job that I hate. I understand that we all have limitations. Maybe we have people that depend on us, but there are micro ways to tweak your life to start to become a happier person and you deserve happiness you deserve pleasure we think that that only comes in the form of lamborghinis and expensive holidays in santorini because that's what we're being like Mm. taught actually true peace i know this has been said a billion times by people much more you know intelligent than me but like the true peace comes from honestly just a lack of fucking stress and enjoying your own company and a lack of mental anguish and pain and and illness and so striving towards that is what I care about do you feel true peace yeah a lot of the time yeah a lot of the time I feel true peace it's very hard to feel true peace always if you're an advocate in a pandemic but um (laughs) but I am at peace because I'm I'm living a very authentic life and I think there have been times where I got very stressed by my public life because 
we treat women abysmally in the public eye and we mm-hmm. treat women so much worse than men. It's I often say that we don't res- we don't have any benefit of the doubt left for women because we've reserved it all for men. <laughs> like we just treat women as villains. I mean, I think about Hillary Clinton's emails versus Donald Trump's insurrection. 100%. 100%. It's just out of control. Um but once I understood that and I realized it wasn't really personal, it wasn't really about me, it's just about my chromosomes. Even that, then I just stopped taking personally. And so now I feel tremendous peace and I feel very accepting of who I am, warts and all. And I'm I'm happy and I've never been able to say that before. And if I can do mm. it as a hugely unprofound, uneducated and damaged person, then I really think mm. anyone else can. Did you also change who was in your life? Radically. I cut... of the people in my life out, I realized that they were either being toxic or enabling toxicity or Mm. enabling my toxicity. And so I realized I needed to refer to it as the great cull. (laughs) I did the great cull of of, uh, 2013. I'm now a bit like Jesus. I've got sort of 12 really good friends. And that's really, (laughs) I think, the magical number. I think Jesus like absolutely smashed it. I'm happy that's how you say you're like Jesus because I was just bracing for what you what was no. about to follow. <laughs> we both have great hair and 12 friends. That's all I can say. <laughs> Up next, Jamila Jamil tells the origin story for her company, iWay. I was on a tour bus and I had PMS and I was angry and then I saw a post about the Kardashians. That's after the break. This is Art of Power. I'm Arthi Shahani. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hey, Art of Power listeners. We are starting a new feature this season. Ask Arthi anything. Are you trying to change your career? Figure out what to major in in college? Unsure how to fund a bold new project? Write us at artofpower at wbez.org about the specific problem you are navigating. I, along with my incredible guests, will help you and potentially feature you in an upcoming episode. Again, that's artofpower at wbez.org. Jamila Jamil turned her online activism into a social enterprise, a media company called Iway. Iway is Jamila's sledgehammer to take on the diet industry. Um, the beginning of September, I did start taking um, a supplement called Bikini Body. Now, these are the Hydroxy Cuts Pro Clinical Lose Weight. Iway's mission is, quote, radical inclusivity. And the origin story, I'm not imposing this, it's true. It happens to again involve the Kardashians. I was on a tour bus. And I had PMS and I was angry. And then I saw a post about the Kardashians with numbers written across their body. And I was like, I was quite a big fan. Like, I, quite, I said, like, not a fan, mm. but I quite liked them. I liked, you know, some of the, I liked the fact that they were curvy and, and 
unpretentious and mm, you know mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a someone who didn't like them and I saw this picture of them and I saw these numbers written across their body and I was like well, I wonder what maybe that's their net worth so I was interested I clicked on the picture and it was just their weight and I was like fucking hell I was like a family of like a, a business empire of women right that's the number that we still value them by you never ever see a picture of businessmen with their weight run across their bodies right. we don't give a fuck like unless they're UFC fighters you don't know what a man weighs in this world and once I clicked mm-hmm. on that because of the algorithms of social media, then pictures of Taylor Swift and how much she weighs, not how many albums she sold or how much, many millions she's given to charity. Selena Gomez, mm. Demi Lovato, like it was like one after the other. And I was like, oh shit, this is like a whole underbelly of the internet that is obsessed mm. still with women's weight. And 20 years ago, I thought the most important measurement of my value in society was my weight. So I just posted on the internet, well, mm. I actually weigh my orgasms. And my relationship and my friendships <laughs> and my my contributions uh-huh. to society and my bingo wings. I weigh the sum of my motherfucking parts. Uh-huh. And I posted that. I did not have a lot of Twitter followers. I had maybe 16,000 Instagram followers at the time. And it just went completely viral. 10,000, I think, people responded within three days mm. with their own eye ways. I was completely overwhelmed. I had to hire a friend, pay a friend to help me take in all mm. of these posts. I put them on an Instagram mm-hmm. account that I thought would last for two weeks. And three years later, we have just very organically grown. All right, organically grown into a company, not just an Instagram account. Explain what iWay is doing. Give us a sneak peek. So what we're doing, we're turning into, uh, I mean, we're a media platform and we're an education Mm -hmm. platform currently, you know, in Mm -hmm. a current climate. It's like, if you don't know everything, if you don't do everything perfectly, if you haven't already lived a perfectly Mm -hmm. morally pure life, then we don't, then you can never help and we don't want your help. I weigh we don't believe in that. So we're trying to set a new standard. We are trying to create a safe space for education, entertaining education, where we don't care where you're at in your knowledge of the world or of other groups. We're just so excited that you're here. And it's okay if you made mistakes as long as they weren't irrevocable, like rape. (laughs) And if you are here, we are excited to learn with you. We are an unpretentious space. We are learning alongside you. And so now what we're growing into is a long form entertainment space. And we have mm. a really big campaign coming that I cannot tell you about yet. Uh, in the next I'll couple just go of months. No. no one mind. Yeah. <laughs> but in the next couple of months, we're launching a really uh-huh. big campaign. Long form entertainment. Long form entertainment or documentary series or um I see. We are working within the exercise space to turn exercise into uh something that people do for their mental health rather than their physical. Uh, I guess appearance which is why most a lot of people too many people exercise um, and so mm-hmm. we're going up against the exercise right. industry in a really new way that's going to be our next big fight I get whiplash listening to Jamila's story trying to wrap my head around the many unlikely turn of events she notices I think what you've been seeking and why I feel I've sensed like dissatisfaction in from you in this interview a little bit because I don't have (laughs) because I can't give you this clear uh, floor plan or like map of my of my journey. And the Mm -hmm. truth is, is that it Mm -hmm. started as an accident and I didn't push it and I didn't have any kind of like design for it and I think that might be the the reason it's so successful is because I Mm. didn't come at this with any kind of I've never come at my entire life with a strategy look at my life like I was a 
school dropout who then became an English teacher who then someone scouted mm. and they said do you want to be on TV and be a TV host so I was like fuck it sure I have no idea what I'm doing mm-hmm. why not then I then someone said do you want to try the radio and I thought yes because I'm sick of being on TV because everyone's judging me for the mm-hmm. way that I look went to radio and then I thought fuck this I'm tired of this I'm going to move to America where I have no friends and no contacts and no visa and I'm fucking Pakistani mm-hmm. and Indian and they don't love brown people in america <laughs> yeah we're still in post 9-11 it's gonna last forever yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so i was like so you know and then i i come here and someone's like go to this audition to be in the good place yeah. and i was like i've never acted before but fuck it i become an actress and then i post mm-hmm. about the weight loss industry and it goes completely viral and then i accidentally right. start a company my entire life has been successful because I don't have a plan. I am open to the periphery. That's where the magic is. And when people have a very strict five-year plan, Mm -hmm. those people often fail because they miss all the opportunities that come in on the side in the gray areas. It's funny. I'm I'm still stuck on the... I sense you're disappointed in me. All right. <laughs> no, I don't think you're disappointed in me, but I but I sense a dissatisfaction because I can't give you this no, finite a, thing. But I no, didn't. But I if, didn't have a plan. No, but if I may say, I think what you're sensing was more me trying to catch up with the fact that much of this is not planned. Mm. But it still sounds like at moments where you see a critical mass of something you seem to know to pay attention. Yeah. A lot of people would have had that sort of moment of virality with 10,000 people responding to an iWay post and been like, yeah, that was cool. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. But you're like, oh, let, let's build something from here. Let's build something from here. Yeah. Like I, what I do is when I'm presented with an opportunity, I do not let my ego or my lack of experience ever get in my way where I go, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to be able to handle this. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could handle this. And so that's really what it is, that when a key moment comes up where I know that it's scary and I'm going to get a lot Mm -hmm. of pushback and I might fail and humiliate myself in front of everyone, the louder voice in my head just says, go for it. Fuck it. Like people are in trouble. You have an opportunity to help. And that is so like desirable to me to be able to make the change that I needed as a kid that I'm willing to risk it all and go down in flames. And also, and tell me if I'm wrong here, it's not just that you're saying, fuck it, or as you put it, I'm not going to let the ego or lack of experience get in the way, but it's that you identify, oh, here's a place where I could afford to learn to do something new and I'm actually going to learn to do it. Yeah, totally. I think failure is really cool and really noble because it means you were willing to try when success wasn't guaranteed. And I think we really mm. need more of that programming. This perfectionism mm. is like, it's a deliberate, it's a fucking scam. It's a trap, you know, and it's, <laughs> uh, it's not real. And actually where uh-huh. you grow the most is in the places that you are sometimes least experienced because you have to rise to a challenge. And I'm obsessed with a challenge and I am obsessed with with finding out what's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that was the saddest part about being so suicidal for such a long time is that I wasn't curious about what was going to happen. Mm. And now I actually, I think the biggest sign of my recovery is that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to try, I'm going to stick around. And And I think I'm just like, how many people can I help? Or... How, how much yeah. of an impact can I make? It's not, 
mm, what's everyone going to think of me? I, 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 I don't have time for that. We don't have time mm. for our fucking egos when it comes to making a difference in the world. We have to scrap in mm. now, even if we're not experts, and we just have to try to not fuck everything up in the process. Jamila Jamil's stardom in Western entertainment, in the UK and then in the US, it strikes me because, well, she's brown. South Asian, or as we say, Desi. I personally know being a brown woman in public radio is unique. And on the screen, even more so. I want to now move into your Desi identity a little right. bit. Just because I got I got a brown girl out with you. Sure, 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 sure. Mm-hmm. The neighborhood you grew up in, was it very like Desi working class or was it multi-ethnic or what was it? Multi-ethnic. Like your, okay. Multi-ethnic. It was a blessing to grow up in London where, you know, your cultural identity just wasn't that big a deal. Aside mm. from, of course, the, you know, the racism that you do feel. But so I, I didn't ever feel like, oh, I'm so accepted here. And if anything, I think mm. I really try to align myself to whiteness for most mm. of my life and kind of uh, didn't eat mm. our food for years and didn't learn our languages. You know, I didn't learn Urdu or Hindi and I um, and I, I didn't learn how to dance in the beautiful way that we dance. And mm. I I I tried to push myself away from the culture because I was being punished in England for being from that culture. South Asian folks, this is a generalization, but I can say it because we're both part of the community. Mm -hmm. We do not talk about family problems. Yeah. Like we're not supposed to do that. Yeah. It's really shunned upon. And then I come to learn about Jamila Jamila and I'm like, she puts, she puts her stuff out there. Mm in a way that is culturally a total aberration. Yeah. So I was just wondering, when did you start doing that? Do you feel you really lean into that? Like, just talk a little bit about that. Uh, I think I started doing it pretty early on. Um, I've never felt like it's something that you should hide because I think that's how abuse cycles continue is, you know, if you keep it a secret and if someone won't meet you where you're at, then they don't deserve to be in your life. And it doesn't matter if they raised you. It doesn't matter if they have the same blood as you. It doesn't matter if they're your cousin. Nobody has a right on earth to you if they don't earn it. Mm. I really fundamentally believe that. I do not believe in the blood is thick in the water. I mean, cum is thick in the blood. Like if we're going to get into like the physics of like all these things. Karma. Come. <laughs> oh, come. Yeah, I, I went classy. Semen. I thought you said karma. No, no, no. You semen said is cum. semen is okay. yeah. Semen is thicker than blood. Like so if we're gonna get into it, like we're gonna yeah. get into like what's the you know, poo is thicker than cum. Like it's the whole point is that I'm not buying into any of this. Like this is it's ridiculous that mm-hmm. anyone is owed your complicity and your like tolerance of their bad behaviour. And I almost uh-huh. hurt myself because I wasn't fighting back and I wasn't drawing my boundaries. And I never, ever want to know that I had an opportunity to tell other people to not do that and didn't take it. You have said, quote, one of the definitive traits of my tribe is we live for revenge. revenge. When have you taken revenge? I want to I want to hear that. (sighs) My revenge is against the diet industry. I'm Mm. I have cost them fucking billions of dollars. 
I have reduced mm. shares and stakes. I have cost these motherfuckers so much money. They hate me so much. They have worked. They have planted people to malign me and spread fucking rumors about me. Mm. They have gone out of their way to try and like push me back into the shadows. And I have disrupted the wallets of so many wealthy people who profit off of our pain and self-hatred. And I will die continuing to do that. I am not done. I'm nowhere near done. I'm coming for them all. I'm like Liam Neeson with the diet industry. And you can like, there's a fucking like, you know, no pun intended, but there's a fucking bee in my bonnet clearly about it. I've been on this mission since I was 19 years old. I'm 36. I will die fighting the fucking diet industry. So, yeah, my relentlessness, my willing to completely self-sacrifice, all of that is in the name of vengeance. My lessons from Jamila Jamil. One, cozy up to the very likely possibility that you will fail. If you embrace that idea, it gives you permission to try all sorts of things, qualified, or not. Two, do not stick to a plan. What's lurking in the gray areas could be far more interesting than anything you manage to imagine. When bigger things show up, show up for them too. Three, take sweet revenge. Don't be petty about it. Make sure your target is big enough, worthy of your time and retribution. What greater motivation is there than seeking blood? Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Art of Power. Once again, if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or mental health matters, please call or text 1-800-273-8255 to connect with a trained counselor. That's 1-800-273-8255. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Hina Shravastava, Justin Bull, and me, Arthi Shahani. It was mixed by Joe Dissot. Our intern is Sylvia Goodman. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. If you like what you heard, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or share it. Nothing like word of mouth. Tell me what you think on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Arthi411, A-A-R-T-I. 411. For exclusive offers, you can sign up for the Art of Power newsletter at wbez.org slash AOP newsletter. See you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.